Hello and welcome to the Stanix podcast. I'm your host, Dennis, and today I'm here with Leo. Hi, everyone. So today we will have another uh, Q&A episode since you requested it. And we have quite a few questions to go through. So I would say we can get started right away. Okay, but uh, wouldn't you like to update a little bit first about uh, your training? How are you doing? I know that uh, guys are really interested in that aspect too. So we can touch maybe a little bit on that. Okay. So uh, what are you doing then? now? So last time we were cutting. Yes. And now? Now I'm uh, done with the cut. I uh, reached my lowest weight, I think in almost three years. And I feel great. I feel good. It's uh, it's not too low, and I can still perform very well. I'm super happy with the tra- how the training is going, and uh, in the next phase, I will slowly start to eat again, and uh, keep on with hypertrophy training since I'm enjoying that a lot, and finally uh, implement leg training again. So, few exciting things to come. But uh, I think I'll tell more once uh, once I really start with that. At the moment, training is not very different from uh, how it used to be. Uh, I think from the first Q&A episode, my skills are getting better and better without training them too much. And since just the weight goes down and um, every other number in the training is going up, especially calls, which I'm enjoying a lot at the moment. And uh, you are planning to compete, didn't you? Yes. Aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, my idea is uh, to finally go into a street lifting competition. Uh, some of you may know that, might know that I have only competed in freestyle competitions until now, but my numbers in uh, street lifting lifts are uh, quite all right, uh, especially for German standards. And I'm thinking to compete in final rep 2022. So I'm gonna start um, training legs seriously again after having a time having had a time off during um, during the pandemic now, but um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. I think like upper body lifts, I won't have too much to do since my numbers are quite high. But uh, legs, there's a lot of lot of work to do, and so well, I will gain weight again, but very slowly this time and very controlled to just uh, feel comfortable and not putting on too much uh, useless weight on, uh, which which is not a goal for a competition, especially in upper body lifts. How is your yes, training I, going? Okay, I'm uh, deloading again. I think also last time I was deloading during the <laughs> yeah. last Q&A podcast. So, yes, but usually I train a lot. So, so uh, Leo it's just coincidence. Train, so, uh, don't worry. Yes, actually it. today is my third day of deload. Usually I don't, I never do three rests three complete uh, rest days in a row. But yesterday I got my second COVID uh, uh, shot, vaccine shot. And yes, I I prefer to, to chill a little because also I'm feeling a little bit the shoulder, but nothing special. So yes, tomorrow I'm planning to do three, uh, the day, the uh, usually I do uh, three days of the normal plan in two days during the deload and to the, tomorrow I will do three days in a row for the deload, but you know, the deload is really, really light. So one hour and a half and it should, uh, uh, it should be enough to do that. And yes, that's it. And then I'm finally, st- I'm starting the third mesocycle of this uh, massing, massing phase. 
And yes, here I will implement some more te uh, intensity technique probably. Uh, usually implement them in the last uh, mesocycle of the macrocycle. And yes, after that, probably one or two weeks of maintenance. And then we go again with uh, another macrocycle of massing and that will repeat. And I will repeat that I think until next summer, maybe even more, maybe one or two mini cuts in between. And yes, that's it. Very nice. And you started dipping, right? Again. Yes, and yes, uh, I've never, I was never really focused only on this, but yes, I, I think two, two years ago, it was something less. It was the last time I trained them. At the time, uh, yes, I was training in a very different manner. And now it's really strange because I haven't dipped in, a, uh, yes, uh, almost two years. And uh, I think that I'm already after three weeks of doing just five to six singles at very light intensity at very, sorry. Yeah. So five, uh, five to six singles uh, with very, with a lot of buffer because, you know, from one side uh, you have to go again into the movement. Uh, another thing is I have to correct, uh, uh, I wanted to change some things in technique to optimize the, the weight that I can uh, uh, that I can lift. And the other thing is also I don't want to, it's just a complementary thing. So I don't want to miss up my hypertrophy training, which is the, uh, the focus of this. Uh, uh, yes, which is the focus for me now. So I, really, I use them like a warm up. And yes, with just this uh, low, amount of work i'm already in pr zone so it's pretty nice uh, i hope honestly i hope to to hit i don't know maybe 100 kgs in a couple of months if possible let's see how it goes now i'm just increasing linearly 5 kgs from week to week and uh, yes next time i will do the 80s and the 75 moved really really nicely and let's see so yes, this could be also another confirmation that having more muscle mass and working technically, uh, it's usually better. Of course, if I would, if the goal was to only increase deep strength, then I would train it uh, differently. But it's not my main goal. So it's just it's also an experiment, and if you go, we can for sure make a case study about that. If if uh, yes, if everything goes like uh, like planned, so let's see. Absolutely. Very good. Awesome. I think we, we can start with, with the questions now. Okay. So, uh, I will start with, uh, uh, with, uh, one related specifically to, to a skill and the skill is the 90 degree, uh, push up. And the question is how would you typically program for the 90 degree handstand push up and what are the prerequisites? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, a uh, 90 degree handstand pushup is not usually a skill we put like a lot of focus on. Um, the, the way we, we let our clients train them is they first need to learn a normal handstand pushup, of course, and uh, feel confident with a normal handstand pushup on the floor or on very low parallels. Um, then we start implementing maybe some uh, isometric holds at the bottom um, before they go up just 
to improve uh, strength and technique in a certain uh, range of motion, start working on deep hands and push-ups. And once the athlete has reached the full range of motion, hands and push-up, we um, can, if the client is interested into it, implement work for the 90 uh, 90 degree handstand push-up and usually we do it with technical work keeping the main work on deep handstand push-ups uh, full range of motion handstand push-ups normal handstand push-up while understanding um, the eccentric and the concentric of the movement separately so first of all the, the eccentric understanding how to lean into it since the lean is different than in a um, full range of motion handstand push-up I don't feel like the 90 degree handstand push-up is more difficult than the deep handstand push-up because you actually don't go as deep, but uh, the center of mass is just in a different position. But that's very, I think, depends from person to person what feels easier and better for them uh, usually and depends how steep they go down in the full range of motion handstand push-up. Uh, some like to lean more forward and for those um, the 90 degree handstand push-up usually comes very naturally. So they need to understand how to lean, uh, forward, bringing the hips down at the same time. Then they need to understand the bottom position, the bent arm planche position, and how to get out of that without swinging everything out of the legs. And once they have understood the both elements, we can implement the first 90 degree handstand push-ups. Anything to add? Yes, I would add to that, that a lot of times uh, people think that it's uh, important to train the bent arm uh, uh, planche in the bottom position, but usually when you are the, at the point of training the 90 degree push-up, you are already strong to easily, do, uh, to easily hold that position. So, okay, maybe here and there, uh, if we have uh, problems with proprioception, it can be a uh, good idea, but usually it's really not necessary. So I see it uh, a lot. Um, I see it usually like like um, a waste of time. And uh, yes, and when you when you start to train them, so that it's usually done after the handstand push-ups, uh, full run. Uh, be careful to not just add them into the plan like you are uh, uh, as you want, but be careful because. Uh, they also count as volume. Usually, the yes, the limiting factor are the shoulders. Sometimes the triceps. Uh, the triceps, but uh, yes, it adds as a volume. So maybe uh, once you are good with your hands, deep handstand push-ups, really uh, put them on the maintenance, uh, reduce the volume that you are. Uh, uh, the volume, the, yes, the, the volume uh, for for them and try to focus more on the 90 degrees. So for example, at the beginning of uh, the training, first do your eccentrics or concentrics if you are already at that point and then just one or two sets of free handstand push-up for ROM with possibly uh, a consistent buffer. And uh, another thing that I would add, yes, usually we implement the centric then, and then the concentric, then the but Yes, but another variation can also be to start uh, uh, after doing the eccentrics. We can just uh, do the movement beginning from the bent arm punch and doing uh, uh, and doing uh, uh, immediately the the concentric. So skip the so this uh, this allows to don't do the first part of the movement, which can. Um, 
requires some strength, so you, it's less fatiguing, and we can just focus on the concentric, and then maybe we can uh, uh, merge the two things together. But of course, it's not mandatory. It's just another. Exactly. Some people another it, it comes way. natural, and they can actually do a ninety degree handstand push up just like that. And if you see that they have some technical mistakes, you can always add some extra work to understand it. But uh, I would set as a main goal the full range of uh, motion hands and push up. And then you can actually, once you reach that, just learn this on the side uh, without like having big focus, exactly as you said, like doing bantern planches without end. It's not very useful. The, the thing that's useful is understanding how to get out of this position to go into the 90 degree and bend on planches as we uh, talked in the planche podcast and um, and some YouTube videos are more an exercise that we use to understand hip positioning, especially in the straddle, more than just putting strength in that particular angle. Okay, moving on. Uh, I will go with this one. So how to deal with light bulk and skill progress? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, yes, and then it asks, uh, is it maybe just a good idea to only maintain skills uh, during this uh, time? Okay, I think uh, there's probably not like um, um, one answer fits all. I think it depends a lot on what your goals are. Like, if you're gaining weight um, because you're very skinny, so you're a beginner uh, and you want to learn skills and you want to learn... Um, and you want to gain weight and muscle mass during that time. Um, for most people, if you don't have like a lot of muscle mass already, it's going to go hand in hand until you do enough basic uh, work on the side to really work on that muscle and you just keep technical work for the skills. You will improve in both without problem. Uh, for example, uh, I think in the question... Uh, Patrick's video was uh, was nominated like he for example gained a lot of weight and learned the skills at the same time but it was like a linear process of doing both and he was very skinny before he had very good genetics to put on muscle and to stay extremely lean while putting on muscle it's something uh, that not everyone can do uh, in in that matter like uh, it's it's um, or you can or you you can't he stays very lean even though he eats almost 5,000 calories a day at the moment and gains weight and looks leaner day by day. Uh, so it's it's kind of um, an exception. Um, but in the beginning, it will work and you will do it if you're a more advanced athlete who already has a lot of muscle mass. It depends a lot on where you put the muscle mass. For example, if you only implement um, leg training later on in the training like I did, your skills will start to suffer because most of the weight won't come in the upper body, but there will come more to uh, on the legs. And in these cases, you will have to probably maintain. Like you can train them, but you will see that there's no possibility to progress on them and that you need to do a lot of work to just keep them there where they are. And then it's up to you. If you want to keep training the movement uh, a lot and risking of getting injured or just maintaining it, that's what, what I think is a smart idea, maintaining it with uh, quite a low volume to not risk anything. And then later on, once you cut the fat off that you put on in your bulk, um, regain them because that's just the smarter way to deal with it. And you maintain the movement, you maintain the technique, 
of course, you end, you won't risk getting injured. And once you're lighter again, things will come back super easily. That's what happened for me. That's what happened with Leo. So um, I think it depends really on person to person. You can try to train them, especially if you slow bulk. Um, and if you have more muscle ups, muscle muscle mass to put on on your upper body, it will work, especially in the target muscles for that skill. If you put a lot of muscle in muscles that aren't the target muscles for that skill, um, probably things will get harder. But uh, it's something you can only uh, see once you do it. Honestly, I don't think there's like a general rule that it's it's gonna work here or not. A um, thing that you can see is like if you look at most uh, skills athletes that compete and are very strong at it, they usually um, are around HP minus one to minus five or something like that meaning they're one yeah, sometimes even more yeah like if they're they're 170 they weigh 60 or less kgs um so meaning you don't need that much mass and they're extremely lean you don't need that much muscle mass in most cases to hold certain skills uh for some people it's gonna be more for some people it's gonna be less there are cases where if there's not enough muscle um to hold a certain position, you see that often with front levers, especially in, in uh, female athletes, they tend to use other more little muscles to compensate uh, if their lat isn't strong and big enough and they get back problems, infraspinatus, supraspinatus problems, things like that, or on the rhomboids. So muscle mass is useful, but everyone needs to find the, the set point or the point where they feel comfortable with it um, uh, themselves and more muscle is usually better, but for skills, it's not always better. I think hey, uh, I would, uh, yes, I would add a couple of things. So first of all, the, if you're starting your massing uh, phase, don't start with 5,000 calories because <laughs> yes, Patrick, it's an exception and probably that it's not a really good idea for you. And yes, I will give some uh, uh, practical advice maybe. So mm -hmm. uh, if uh, uh, your goals are the skills before starting and you are intermediate or advanced, before starting, before going, the, the first thing that you have to do is to maximize your strength with the current muscle mass that you have. So first of all, focus on that. Then if you see that you are not progressing anymore for a lot of months and that you for a lot of months, I don't know, two to five months, but, and you, and you tried a lot of different methods. Uh, yes. In that case, I would think about, uh, about so this is a, this is a first thing. And I would add also to, to what you said that, uh, yes, the, so you, you can, if you're, I'm in the same opinion, so intermediate and advanced, uh, probably, uh, for them, it's better to maintain skills. And also because maybe, yes, if you set the progression, maybe you are potentially gaining strength for what regards strength adaptations, but you can't really know because you're also gaining weight and that can lead to frustration. So maybe you, pro you program to add some seconds the next week and then you can, uh, in fact, add that seconds, but maybe you are stronger, but you can just add seconds because you are getting weighter, you are putting fat and ma and the muscle mass in other points of the body. So it, it, that can lead to frustration. And the other thing is be 
when messing, really, if you have to choose between uh, progressing on sets, adding more volume on sets and on the uh, hypertrophy or the hypertrophy work, I would really advise to uh, maximize the hypertrophy yeah. work because you are uh, in a surplus. And we all know that during a surplus, uh, unless you are not a beginner, you will, you will for sure put uh, some fat and some muscle. So if someone tells you that you can put muscle without losing fat, without uh, gaining also fat, uh, probably he's not trained, he's not uh, telling you the truth. So keep in mind that you will gain fat. And if you don't maximize the amount of hypertrophy work that you are doing, then you will gain more fat than planned. So really we have to try to maximize the ratio between uh, mass uh, muscle gaining and fat gaining. So, and in order to do that uh, hypertrophy work, it's uh, so certain exercises working with normal reps and not isometrics, it's way better than doing uh, isometrics. If you, if you want to put on muscle mass, hypertrophy training is just the way to go. Uh, and that needs to be clear. But of course with the isometrics, we can put some muscle, yeah. but uh, if uh, this was the optimal way, then all bodybuilders will train, would train with uh, isometrics, which is clearly not the case. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that answers the question. It's like not a yes or no, it will depend. And there are better ways to put on muscle mass than others. And you need to find a mix that makes you happy and works for you. Yes. And also another mix, mix, uh, mix, mix, ugh, I can't, I can't say the word. Uh, misconception. Yes. Misconception. Uh, there, there, there is, pre which is present in the calisthenics, uh, word is that we have to use skills in order to build muscle mass, but it, that's not. Uh, true at all there are some some exercises for example front lever raises sometimes are good to to put muscles where we want for the front lever but in general it's not mandatory and probably you shouldn't use uh, them because are because there are way better exercises uh, with barbell with dumbbells with machines so really uh, yes keep that in mind yeah Okay, I will go with, uh, I think th this one is uh, pretty short. And the question is how to work on balance in unilateral exercises, for example, pistol squats. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think with pistol squats, the problem that more and balance, the problem most people have isn't balance itself, but it's a missing ankle mobility in most cases. Like if someone has a good ankle mobility, he can quite easily sit down uh, in the bottom position of the pistol squat without any problems. Uh, while if you don't have that, you think you have a balance problem because you keep falling backwards. So the way we work on uh, the pistol squat for someone who wants to learn it for the first time is uh, some ankle mobility exercises uh, to understand how to lean the knee forward and things like bottom holds, for example, to uh, they, they sit on the uh, sit at the bottom of the of the pistol squat. To start with, you can use a weight in your hand, which makes it easier, and then you can always use an easier weight and understand the the bottom position. And then mostly um, just by trying, because uh, balance is something you need to learn by by trying the movements. Um, 
once you have enough mobility to to be at the bottom, you can start to stand up and then you can start doing the full movement. I think, uh, do you have anything to add? Mm, not really. Maybe if you really want to, to focus, if you're 100% sure that you have a, a very big problem with your balance in some point of the movements, maybe add some isometrics there. And that's it, which usually for the pistol squats are not in the bottom position because mm. the bottom position for what regards balance is it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty easy. And yes, usually I would say it's uh, somewhere in the middle of the movement. Maybe there you can add some pauses if you are 100% sure. And uh, yes, in the bottom position, if you had a problem, usually it's a, uh, it's a mobility problem and we usually implement this is why also we usually implement some isometrics on uh, in the bottom position and you know like uh, for other skills for for example the handstand uh in whenever there are some uh balance uh requirements in this in the movement it's completely fine to fail a rep or something and just to repeat it it's it's a completely normal thing i know maybe on social media you always see the guys completing everything so it seems that everyone can always clean uh, trains clean trains perfectly but there are a lot of fails for uh, skills where the balance is involved mm. absolutely yeah i think we can I go to the, the next one yeah okay uh let's see yes this one maybe uh, for stronger planche, is handstand push-up or planche push-ups uh, better? So uh, I can reformulate it maybe. Which is better for, in order to achieve the planche, which which of these exercises is better, handstand push-ups or planche push-ups? Okay, I think um, best thing to do is uh, to go and listen to our uh, planche episode on uh, on this channel. I think we, we answered the question the planche generally is an extremely specific exercise, meaning you need to train it as specific as possible. And the way you uh, put on um, muscle or the strength for the for the planche is honestly your choice. Uh, we you, planche push-ups are very very specific as exercise. We like to implement them when people already have uh, achieved usually like a more difficult version of the planche and they're maybe already working on the straddle planche and then we start adding uh, work for for uh, for the planche push-ups but less to put on muscle we use other exercises to put on muscle on the shoulders so getting stronger shoulders hands and push-ups are a preferred method and I generally feel like it's like subjective thing that people that have learned the handstand push-up at least know how long it learns to to learn a skill and learn the balance and learn all the little steps that need need you need to reach something and uh, and that teaches you something for planche because planche is that times 10 for most people what do you think leo uh, i would have, i don't know if he was referring to free consent push-ups or back to wall i don't know either. but Yes, in general, if he was referring to free handstand push-up uh, and the goal is to just put um, strength in for for the planche, so strength in the shoulders for the planche, 
then I wouldn't use the free handstand push up at all for that uh, for that goal because uh balance games into play and the balance uh, if we have to think about balance we are not maximizing strength gains uh, for sure and yes so between these two exercises like you said i think neither of them is the best way if the goal is just to uh, put uh, let's say row strength in the in the shoulders and if you are referring to back to wall handstand push-ups, okay, then this mm-hmm. is an option. But usually we then implement the pike push-ups because uh, it's usually easier to work with full rend- range of motion with uh, pike push-ups. So uh, full range of motion pike push-ups are way easier than back to wall uh, full range of motion handstand push-ups. And also the back to wall handstand push-ups, you have always to use the same surface because your feet slide on the wall and uh, uh, it changes, uh, I would say, considerably from which type of surface you use. And yes, also, I I know maybe for someone it's... uh, it's uh, funny, but also depends also on the socks. If you're wearing socks, if you're wearing shoes, that that are all factors that come into place. And then, as always, you can't uh, quantify the progress. And also, yes, this can lead to frustration. And uh, I think yes, the, and the also, angle in which you hit the pike push-up is more specific for the shoulder itself too. Like yes, in a back to one hands and push-up, it's more tricep work uh, often. Than, uh, than shoulder work. Just from the angle, it's not that optimal. So Yes, and also if you work with the half from push-ups, uh, half from, so on the floor, uh, I think that already this is not optimal. You are not uh, hitting at all the, the angle of the planche, which is lower when, yes, which is uh, lower usually. And uh, also for the handstand push-ups, back to wall, on the floor, uh, there are sometimes guys just uh, use a really wide grip and then mm. the ROM is even lower. And I think it's not, it's not a good idea. So yes, yeah. for putting row strength, probably the two best exercises are pike push-ups and military press. Yeah. And train the planche itself. Of course, of course, because yes. Because it's specific. So without like like uh, finding magic methods or magic exercises that will make you stronger in it. Yes, and also the planche push-ups, for example, uh, yes, they require a lot of uh, balance also. I would yeah. not, not balance, yes, but you, uh, the problem is that you don't have only to focus on shoulders, but you have to focus a lot on abs, on hips, yeah. Uh, maintaining form so yeah. it's not optimal for just yeah. a pure uh, strength perspective at the shoulder level yeah perfect next one up next one up uh, I will go with this one so the, the question is simply sets per week per skill so I think that uh, he's asking how many sets uh, you should do uh per week for yes for skills training mm-hmm. okay well um usually boom the smartest idea is to start with a low number and then work your way up to more sets and see where you improve and how well it's going are you improving how you're 
you you thought you were improving are things getting better is the quality always the same um i think with most skills we usually start with uh six to eight sets a week but uh like as a general rule uh rule of thumb uh and it can end up with uh double or even more of that plus counting assistance work uh where you have probably other six to eight sets a week depending on um what you need to do for the exercise and if it's in focus or not so yeah i think these are general guidelines you can follow um without exaggerating yes and uh, i would add that there are guys that can handle perfectly yeah. even more volume up to 30 maybe 40 sets per week yeah. for some skills so for example for the planche but this uh, shouldn't be uh, the first thing that uh, you do when you start training so exactly. it's always better to to build up volume because you uh, but needs also time to uh, condition itself. And yes, this is what I would say. Also depends a lot on how many other movements are you training that involves the, the same muscle. So for example, if our goal is only the front lever and we don't want to train one arm pull up, we, are, we have not goals of increasing um, one um, maximal strength for the normal pull-ups, then of course we can do way more volume for the front lever. But if you want to compete in straight lifting, you want to develop one arm pull-ups, you want to uh, learn the front lever and maybe also, I don't know what, hefesto, that, <laughs> that involves uh, your biceps, then you have to uh, to program uh, less sets for sure for yeah. the front lever. So it's always uh, uh, like that. And yes, so from six to eight sets in the beginning, and also depends from what progression you you plan to do during the month. So we a lot of time we just add sets from uh, week to week. And uh, as you go deep more deeply into the month, as you the weeks progress, then you get acquired to the volume and then you can more easily so one thing is to start with uh, 20 sets first week and uh, another thing is to start 10 sets uh, in the first week and then build up then to 20 so the body uh, yes the body uh, gets uh, used to that and can handle that then the volume uh, more easily yeah. and yes i think yes another thing is uh, if you want to maintain skills then usually the volume is all uh, also lower than that so a lot of time you can just maintain uh, skills with zero i would say for really uh, really easy movements or that comes really natural to you but yes usually it's something from two to four sets uh, per week it's it's enough to to maintain a skill but Yes, also, if you're maintaining skills, try it. And yes, also here, start. No, uh, when maintaining, I will start uh, a little bit higher. And there, I would then lower the volume if I see that I can maintain the, the movement easily. And this is how you can find then uh, the break point where techniques technique starts to, to break down. Yeah. And another thing that I would add, uh, if the skill is very technical, like maybe the one arm handstand and you don't have problems with wrists and with any joint, 
uh, you can do way more work for, for that movement for sure, because it's not fatiguing. It just requires uh, a lot of practice. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we said it all. Like generally, where an idea, uh, the idea is, you start low, you build up, and you will see that there's like uh, an amount of sets where you can improve very well from week to week. And if you notice that by seeing data from months and months of work, you know uh, where you work best, and uh, you will notice where where it's too much too because you will have little pains, you won't recover performance will go down. So it's super important to, to, um, get all the data you can, uh, in an objective way as possible to just program your trading better with time and see what's optimal for you. Okay. So here are the two last one, which I would like to cover. And the first is percentage work versus RAR or slash RPE work. Mm -hmm. So when probably when it's better to use one and when it's better to use uh, the other. Okay. So the thing with percentage work for street lifting, especially we don't have enough data yet, uh, for uh, power lifting movements like the squat percentage work can be useful to have uh, certain guidelines and idea of how you want to train. Um, Especially in higher reps, percentage work gets very, very, um, unexact. Like there are many studies that show that people can like the range of reps they can do with 80% of the one RM differs enormously from person to person, especially if we're talking about higher reps, uh, in the lower rep ranges, percentage work can be useful, but, um, and I feel like that, especially with street lifting lifts, where there are some ways to calculate percentages there too, by adding body weight, there, there have, there, there are a few things that have been tried, but, um, still the data is not conclusive enough that I would use percentage work, um, to do so yet you can use it to have a certain idea of how you want to program the next month. Uh, you can. You can, um, use it maybe if you're like peaking and having very like one to three or one to two rep range, probably there, it can be very useful too, but, um, many factors impact that, like how you're feeling that day, how, um, how things are just, how your stress level is, how your sleep is, et cetera, et cetera, where I would prefer teaching a client to really work with RP and rear test things like uh, six repetition maximum and start from there and then mostly work with RIR and RP. Of course, there are people that have an extremely hard time, um, gauging the, the RPs correctly and they, um, everyone can learn it. I, I think, especially in, in lower, uh, rep ranges because in higher it's super difficult and uh, even, uh, athletes that are very experienced have a hard time doing it. But, um, yeah, I, you can use it. I think you can use percentage based things, um, just to have a certain idea where you want to go, at least for some people, it can be useful for peaking, especially movements where there's a lot of data, like the squat in the muscle up dip and, um, and pull up, I would still stick mostly to RP. 
Uh, this is my opinion. Yeah. Yes, I would add that, yes, the, the goal should be to learn the RAR and the RPE, but if you are, or if you are, probably you, <laughs> yes, if this is a, your, if, if you have hard time engaging RPE and RAR, or if uh, one of your clients has this, this problem after months of trying, uh, because, uh, yes, and this problem can, uh, be present due to many reasons. So for example, it's an ego problem. So we have clients that give a uh, very low RPE, then we see the videos and uh, it uh, barely uh, cl closes, he barely closes uh, the rap maybe, or other, and this happens more often with girls that are really, really conservative with their uh, RPEs. Uh, in this case is, uh, yes, I would, uh, I would focus more on the percentages, but uh, a good idea can be to, since the, like Danny said, the reps at a certain percentage varies vary a lot from uh, uh, person to person, a good idea is to create your own table of uh, percentages. So you do a lot of, of tests, of course, no, maybe not on the same day, but you, you, uh, I don't know, you test your 100%, okay, so your 1RM, and then you test with other percentages the maximum amount of reps that you can do, and then you create your own table for each percentage, let's say, I don't know, uh, 100%, 95%, 90%, and a couple of more, and then you use that table in order to program, and that's usually way more accurate than just taking a plan with percentages and applying it to all of your, yes, all to, yeah. to all of your clients or to yourself, because yes, yeah. it's very, very variable uh, and the highest the reps, then more yeah, I the, think, I think tables like that could be, like, are super, yes, super useful, but we, they, they take covered. a lot of time to create, like yes. you can't just test okay. everything in one day. You need to collect data over six months a year. You can do extremely interesting things with it, like for example, uh, calculate the percentage that you have in the pull-up compared to a chin-up two, for example, that you can uh, you can plan very, very well with that in the future, but it's data you don't collect in six months of training, like it needs a few years uh, to really build it up well uh, so that it stays consistent over time and you need to keep improving it. Then of course, it's yes. awesome. And another reason why we like the RP is because uh, RP allows to take into consideration how you feel, uh, yes, your daily readiness. So how you feel that day. So if you feel better, then you will perform at the same RP with higher intensities. And if you have a bad day, you slept uh, uh, less than usual or worse than usual, you can just... Uh, use less weight and RPE will take that into account. So yeah. this is one of the main advantages of the RPE also. Very good. And as Danny said, in order to build that table, it takes time and RPE avoids uh, you to, to, to invest all the time uh, in doing that. Very good.
Next I one. go with, I yeah. will go, yes, with the, with the last one. And it is, should I always wear wrist wraps or it is too risky? It's, it is too risky without it. Okay. Well, um, I think uh, wrist wraps are like almost, um, people wear them because they're cool in calisthenics more than anything else. Uh, honestly, um, I wouldn't see wrist wraps are as a requirement for anything like, uh, it's simply then is, are you using wrist wraps? No, I'm not using wrist wraps. Like I use, and you can do, yeah. and, and you can do some, uh, quite some skills. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I think like if, uh, of course, if you have pain in, in the wrist, uh, the wrist is, um, very difficult to work around with because you use it for so many things. You use it, uh, using your computer, you use it on your phone, you use it, uh, all the time and, uh, usually recovering from a little wrist injury, even though you just maybe weren't warm up to very well, uh, takes a long time and keep like putting more and more stress on it. Isn't a great idea. Uh, so wearing a wrist wraps for certain movements where you put it in extreme flexion and you feel more pain um can be an idea but of course you need to work on uh the core problem uh do some work for your wrist so it feels better work on imbalances and maybe change often like i think that's super often the case people grip bars like this and in the if you hear the podcast you won't see it but like an extreme flex position and you need to learn to bring the the, um, the wrist in the right position when you when you do so uh, so you don't put use less stress on it and you don't hurt yourself in the future. Just slapping a band on it uh, won't solve the problem. Um, it can help you in the recovery process, but uh, generally, no. Uh, I would always advise to not use wrist wraps um, only if you really need to. Uh, you, you can use them and if things feel better that way. Okay, I wouldn't have nothing to add here, so... I think that for today, we are done. We're done. Nice. Very good. Then um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you did, leave us a like. If you have uh, questions, you can just put them in the comments and we'll answer them in the next podcast. Um, I am, and yeah, we have, I think, maybe a few questions left for the future and other episodes already that we might answer there. Um, so stay tuned for more and hope to see you next time. Bye and see you next time.